when you think about marriage and you talk about your marriage, um, and I began thinking about, you know, anchors and what is an anchor used for? You put an anchor down. You put an anchor down, you you hang on, um, it holds you in place. And um, as a matter of fact, our life has been just completely crazy the last month, last six weeks, it seems like. And um, my husband and I were talking the other day, and um, we, we were talking, and, and he said, sometimes I feel like we do life together, but we don't really do life together. And um, and I started, to, and we were talking about how he said, you know, we, right now, at this particular moment in our life, we are going in so many different directions that we don't ever get together and, and just even have dinner together as a family or even have our normal day a week that we go out on a date because we're going in so many different directions. And so when Julie asked about us coming, I, honestly, at first, my initial thought was, don't need to pray about it. We just need to get away. You know, we need to have our time together. Forget praying about it. Let's just plan on going away because that's kind of where we were. And so I began thinking about that in relation to, to life. Because doesn't that happen a lot of times? And notice what I, I, um, I kind of titled this as, um, putting anchors down as you interrupt life for your marriage. And doesn't that happen so many times? Maybe, maybe we're just the only ones that struggle in that area. But I find out that it is so true that life gets in the way so many times. And most of us, all of us in this room, are doing life together with our spouse. We're doing life together, but the question is, are we really doing each other any good? Now, you know, stop and think about that. You know, you get away and you think, oh, things are, things are so good. And then you get home, and what happens as soon as you get back home? You know, I know what's going to go back home. I, I'm jumping back in to um, picking up my son from work, and I've already told my husband he's got a big speech to do at school on Monday. And um, I told him this weekend, I said, outline your speech, and then I will help you fine-tune it. And I told my husband at breakfast, I said, I'm going to go home. And Caleb's going to say, Mom, I didn't do any of the outline because I wanted you to help me. And I know I already, I'm going to be upset with him. I'm going to be aggravated with him. So I'm telling myself now, don't be aggravated because he's 16 and has no brain. You know, that's what I'm telling myself. And I already know. I'm preparing myself mentally to jump back into life. And it's easy to get away, but think about it. How much do we really do each other good when we're running ragged with life? And then I want to talk today a little bit about some anchors that we need to put down in our life. Now, I did a survey. I, I went to my Facebook. I went to Facebook Messenger, and I sent out a questionnaire to um, 40 ladies. And I made it a point to not choose my pastor's wives, and I made it a point to not choose what I would feel would be biased as in all of my Christian friends, if you know what I'm saying. I just randomly sent out to all, basically all the women. So some were Christian, some were not Christian, some I don't know very well, some I know really well. I ended up asking 40 ladies. I just picked 40 random ones. And am I asking the question, I want you to list the top three things that you feel like causes you the most stress in your marriage. And 21 responded back in the time frame that I had to put this together. And um, this is what came up. Lack of communication not being able to talk with each other. 12 of the 21 women said, that is the biggest problem that we have, not talking to each other. Then, the very second even was with sex, was intimacy. We argue over sex, we argue over intimacy, we argue over not connecting that way. And uh, then the last one coming in at number 11 was finances. And there were more, there was children, job, house cleaning, on down the list, but these were the top three. The rest of them were like, 
you know, eight, seven, four, three, on down the list. These were the top three. And I began to think, from us personally in our marriage, you know what? These are the top three things I would have to say that we argued about. And it all centers around life getting in the way. We don't talk like we should, or we don't have our date night like we should because we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to drop our plans and take care of this. Or, or intimacy. You know, I'm tired and he's not. It's his stress reliever and I just need to sleep. You know, it's one of those those things that, that gets in the way. You know, we, we don't argue about it, but it, it would be something I would say that we have words about, you know. And then in finances, you know, my husband's like, I want to go do this. I'm like, wait a minute, the budget doesn't allow for it this month. And he's like, but where did the money go? And I'm like, where did the money go? Because we had this bill pop up and we had this pop up. And he's like, are you not putting money away for that? You, you know, and then it's that, that, no, I forgot to pay that. You know, no, I didn't do it. I didn't put money away. I didn't think, you know, and it's those kinds of things. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, in the, the boat of life that we're sailing, if we can anchor down in these three areas that it seems like a lot of women struggle with, then you know what? All we're doing is securing our boat ride a little bit better. If we can, if we can anchor down and we can get on the same page in these areas, it's going to be good. It's going to help us solidify our marriage. But before we even get that far, let's look at the marriage ship, okay? Now let's picture um, whenever we, we get married, let's just for, for analogy say for things like we get married, and we at the altar and we say I do, we we that he kisses us as our bride, we we go into that covenant marriage, we're stepping in the boat. We're stepping in our marriage boat. Okay? And we launch out and at that point we should cut ties with land. We're not going back to land anymore. We are in the boat. We are on the sea and this is how we're gonna be sailing along. And when you start thinking about that, look at that as um, you, you cut ties with land. It's a definitive decision when you step in there. And you think about the word definitive. The word definitive simply means um, something that is not ever able to be argued about, something that has been finalized and settled, something that you're not going to argue about. You know, when my husband said we've never really talked about divorce, we talked about killing each other a couple of times. That is true because when we got married, we looked at it as this is this is it. We're not going to argue about ever getting a divorce because we have made that commitment. And I feel like that's what's lacking in a lot of our families today. A lot of our young couples, a lot of our married couples today, is stepping into it. As Pastor was preaching last night about, you know, it's a it's um what's what's the word to use? Covenant, covenant, and what was the other one? It was an agreement, a contract, contractor's work. We're stepping as a contract, you don't do things my way, I'm going to bail out. Rather than looking at it as a definitive commitment that we've made. So, okay, we're all, every single one of us are in the boat, land is nowhere to be seen. We are sailing life in this boat that we have. Now let's look at some of the definitives. Look over to Ephesians. And you know, you look at these verses in, in, in Ephesians, and you think, okay, here we go. We've got to be submissive, and we have to do what our husband tells us, on and so forth. But as I begin to study, <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to tell you, as I begin studying, as I begin looking at these verses, do you know what? I found out that it's not what we typically hear so many times. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Notice what verse 22 says. It says, Wives, 
Submit yourselves and to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Well, let's just look at the word own there. Your own husbands. This is the key word that we're going to focus in on there. The word own, if you look at it in the Greek language, you break it down. The word own is a Greek translation that simply means this. Your very own, private, peculiar, unique possession. Okay? So, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Submit yourselves. Give yourselves to your very own, private, peculiar, unique possession. Now, doesn't that put a different light on the word? Rather than we focus on submission, this is what we have to do, but we skip out that who are we actually giving ourselves to? Who are we seeking to make happy? Who are we wanting to make happy? So, when you say, I do, you became the owner, just for you, of a private, peculiar, with any and all of his oddities, unique, special in his own way, hunk of a man. Okay? When you said, I do, he became your own husband. Peculiar, weird, strange, lovable, cuddly, irritating. All of those things get wrapped in together, and he's yours. A lot of times, we go in it and we look, what's he going to do for me, rather than looking at, what do I have in him? What do I have in relationship to my husband? What do I have? Um, one thing that, um, that I, I started, I've never, fin- never finished all 100, but I started making a list of 100 things that I love about my husband. And you say, oh, that's easy. Well, no, it's not. When you start going to 100, 100's a lot. I mean, it fills up a couple of front pages of a piece of paper, you know, when you start looking at that. And you start thinking and studying your husband about what you love about him, it's going to change your attitude about how you look at him. So he's our own husband. But then look at verse 24, just a couple of verses down. It says, um, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Take the word subject there. Let us be subject. As study in the Greek there simply says subject is having the desire to get along. <laughs> having a desire to get along. It's the opposite of having an independent spirit. So it says be subject um, unto Christ as unto their own husbands. So basically, we should have a desire to want to get along. Now, in our marriage, that, that's one of, probably one of my biggest things. When he said last night, I'm the yapper, I've got to figure things out, I've got to work things out, because that's my security. He and I getting along is, is and if we have a disagreement, if we have an argument, if we have um, something that we don't, we, we're not getting on the same page on, I, I think to myself, I'm not going to be the one to go to him. I am not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then it goes for an hour, and I'm like, he's not going to say anything to me. He is not going to say a word, and I cannot live. I cannot function. So I'll usually either text him. I cannot go on with my day. I cannot get my list done unless we're getting along, and we've got to solve this right now. And I wait for a response back. And then, and then we text, we're texting back and forth. We're having that thing. Because, you know what? I have to have that. I have to get along. We have to be connecting on the same page. Or my whole world is upside down. I've got to know, if things, if things are good with me and my husband, I can conquer the world. Honestly. But when me, he and I are not getting along, and we're unraveling, I cannot even, I, I could just sit and cry, you know? And I'm not saying I'm so dependent on my husband, that, but at 
I, having that unity, having that connection. And I think it goes back to a God-given desire that God gives us whenever we step into marriage. We should have a desire to get along. We become one flesh, but you know what that means? It means we cut, we become one more than one flesh. We become one person. And think about two pieces of construction paper. You take a yellow piece and you take a red piece and you start gluing them, you glue the paper together and you try to pull it apart. It's impossible. You're never going to get it pulled apart because the yellow is going to be stuck to the red and the red's going to be stuck to the yellow. That's what our marriage should be. It's a definitive decision to get glued together and we can't tear each other apart. We can't separate ourselves from each other. So we should have that desire to constantly stay together as one. And then if you flip over, who has, um, who has the verse Titus chapter 2 and verse 4? Okay, go ahead and read that if you don't mind. Over in Titus. Titus 2 and verse 4. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Okay, the key word there is love. Learning how to love each other. Being taught how to love each other. Now, when you look at the word love there, it's derived of two words. The first part of it is philandros, which simply means to love as a dear friend, to love with emotional connections, to love with friendship, to love with enjoyment. And then the second part of the Greek breakdown is the word aner, which simply means a man, a man, a gentleman, even your husband. So it's saying that we need to learn with every day that we're married, we need to learn to love and enjoy each other more than we did yesterday. And, and there are times, there are things now that me and my husband love to do that we didn't want to do when we first got married. We're connected more now. I understand more about him now, but you know what? I'm still learning things about him today that I never knew before. Last night, I learned something about my husband. I stopped at Ross yesterday. I was waiting on Pastor and Boy to get here. We stopped at Ross, and I ran in. And we were walking out, and my husband said, I'm going to grab this bag of caramel corn, the salted caramel popcorn. I'm like, okay. And uh, we got into the room last night, and he opened it up. And he said, you know, this is my very favorite snack in the world. I said, really? I said, I didn't know you liked caramel popcorn. He said, if I could choose any snack in the world to eat, I would choose caramel popcorn. And I'm like, I had no idea because we never had caramel popcorn. He said, I know, you never buy it. I'm like, well, I never buy it because I don't really like it. You know, it's that kind of thing. He said, you know what? I'm learning more about him every day that we live. We talked through talked the questions last night. And most of the questions we would have gotten right. But there was a couple that we wouldn't have gotten right because we haven't dealt. I mean, we haven't asked each other those questions. But you see, that's what it is. It's about wanting to enjoy each other and getting to know each other as you continue on through life. And then the last one, Colossians 3 and verse 18. Who has that verse? Hey, do you care to read it? Okay, a, a verse, you know, a lot of you hear the word submit, and y'all are making this clock out, you know, I'm not going to do that. But when you understand what the submit is all about, it's a military term. In the Greek language, it's a military term that says, I'm going to voluntarily put myself under someone else's leadership. I'm going to volunteer to do that. It's not something that you're forcing me to do. It's not something that I have to do. It's something that I volunteer to do. And that's something, I, we've been married for 23 years, and I'm still learning that. I am still doing that. I am still, I am still voluntarily 
putting myself in that situation. Because you know what, I'm, I'm a very strong-willed person. I like things my way. If you really want me to sum it up, this would be blunt. I have to be very selfish. I want things my way. And I don't want to give in. And there are times I have to tell myself every day, Angie, is this really worth an argument? Does it really matter that he wants to go here to eat and you want to go here? Is it really that big of a deal? You're not pregnant and you're not craving, you'll eat anywhere. Does it, does it really matter? You know, just shut up. Or he'll say something I disagree with and I'll think, is this really a doctrinal disagreement? No. Is it going to affect our marriage? No. Well, shut up, Andrew. Just shut up. Rather than saying, that is the dumbest thing you've ever said, or that was just ridiculous. You know what? I voluntarily keep my mouth closed and let him take the lead. And you know what? The more that I learn that, and I have not arrived, girls. I have not. I would love to tell you that I have. But the more that I work toward doing that, the freer I am. Now that we have teenagers, you know what the happiest thing that I can say is when they come to me and say, Mom, we want to do this or we want to do that or we want to do that. You know what I say? Go ask your daddy. Go ask your daddy. In my opinion, I want to just say, absolutely not. But you know what? I want to free myself. I want to be the happy, carefree parent. I want the kids to like me. So I'm like, you just go ask your dad. And usually it's like, do we really have to ask dad? I'm like, yeah, because I don't want to answer the question. So just go ask your dad. You know what? Learning how to do that. When issues come, it's so easy because truthfully, he's got broader shoulders than me. He can handle things so much better than I can. He's somebody that I voluntarily go to and say, I'm going to rant and rave for a little bit because I can't rant and rave to anybody else. You know what? I voluntarily do that. I'll have to say in our marriage, my husband has never demanded me to do anything. At one time, the biggest argument that we ever had, and I will say this, I, we, had, we were living in Orlando. He was pastoring in Orlando. And he was going out to mow the grass. Well, I grew up in Tennessee. There was a family event to mow the grass. We were all outside. You know, one had the push mower, and one had a riding mower, and one had the three-wheeler with a, a little um, wagon on the back, and one of us was raking. I mean, it was a whole family thing. None of us stayed in the house. We all were. Well, um, we had just had our baby and Bree, and we were going to go outside, and he said, Angie, while I mow the backyard, I want you and Bree to stay inside. And I said, no. And he said, Angie, I want you and Bree to stay inside while I mow the back. And I'm like, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. You are ridiculous. And he's like, Angie, I'm not going to tell you. Go out front, but I don't want you in the back. Well, he, he was wrong when I was wrong. He wouldn't tell me why, and I was just ticked. I was like, I refuse. I mean, it was like knockdown knock drag out. And um, then after we settled down, and we found, I found out later, I didn't know this, and we had been married for five or six years, but one of his best friend's little brothers had gotten killed by a rock flying out of the lawnmower when he was just a little baby out with his with his family. And he didn't stop to tell me that, but I, I wouldn't have listened anyway because I wanted things my way. So do you see, once I learn that he always has a reason behind what he's asking me to do, then it's easy to accept when I voluntarily say, Lord, help me to help me to serve him today. Because it's easy. I can, I can stand and say, he serves me a whole lot more than I serve him. Because he, my husband is a very loving, gracious, gracious guy. And he never demands me to do anything. I'm the one a lot of times that puts my heels down, even if he asks me. And I'm like, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. But learning, for me, it's learning how to say, okay, I'm going to voluntarily follow his lead and follow his leadership. So when you think about these things, when you look at these verses... And you go home and studying them out even more. What I want you to see and understand is, it's a definitive decision when we're in this boat, and there are things that we work through 
But you know what? If we follow God's layout and we look at the exact meaning of what it was actually pinned down as, it's going to change our outlook. Now, let's move into the anchors. The anchors that we need to put down in our marriage. Uh, marriage anchors. Now, let's look at communication. Now, I can make you close your eyes or you don't have to respond or whatever. How many of you would say that in your, in your course of, of marriage, being together, that communication is something that you would struggle with? Okay, a lot of hands going up. When we think about communication, now listen to this. This just makes me laugh every time I think about it. Men tend to say only what they mean, and women tend to say more than they mean. Is that not true? Okay. Wives tend to believe that their husbands are not saying everything they mean, while husbands tend to believe that the wives mean everything they say. Okay. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever have you ever been in a disagreement and talking with your husband, and and then he's like, "This is what you just said." I'm like, "I didn't mean it." He's like, "But you said it," and I'm like, "But but that's that's no." I'm like, "Let me just let me just bring it home, bro." The other night, we're just laying out whatever we're gonna bring. You know, we're getting ready the night before, and um, he has a pair of pants that I just hate. I just absolutely hate them. And I, I, I always think to myself, when you wash them, get rid of them. But I always forget to get rid of them because I'm always in a hurry. Well, he put a shirt out with them. And, and, and we, we can mix and match patterns. And I think guys, when they mix and match certain patterns, it's just no. And um, I'm like, you're not going to wear that shirt with any pants. He's like, I dress myself every day. Do you have a problem with the way that I dress? I'm like, no, I don't have a problem with the way you dress, but I don't like that together. And he's like, it matches. I'm like, the colors may match, but I don't think it goes. And, and so he calls my daughter in. And Bree's like, I'm not gonna, I know what this is. I'm not even gonna respond. She, she lies. And then my son comes in, who is the fashion police, and he's like, I think it looks great. My husband's like, Thank you. And he's like, Your mom, for some reason, thinks that I am incapable of dressing myself and I have any fashion sense. When truthfully, my husband has the best fashion sense of all of us. And, um, and I said, that is not what I said. He said, that is exactly what you meant. I'm like, no, it's not what I meant. But at the same time, he will say something to me. You know, I'll, I'll ask him, do you like this outfit? Do you think this looks good? And if I'm asking him when he's thinking about five other things and he hesitates, I'm like, okay, you answered the question. He's like, I haven't even looked at it yet. It's not like you didn't respond quick enough. That means that you're trying to think of a nice way to say that it doesn't matter. He's like, that is not the case at all. So you see what happens? And I know we're not the only ones that this happens to. We, we, we're not on the same page when it comes to communication. We're not on the same page. And so what we have to work on to put that anchor down in our marriage, to anchor ourselves down, we have to look at what's been termed as the meaning of meaning where the meaning of what we truly are trying to convey has a meaning place with who's listening to it. If you don't learn to communicate correctly in your marriage, you're going to disintegrate. And that's just the truth of the matter. If you're not communicating, if you're not working on your communication skills, it's going to disintegrate. Okay, look at uh, some contamination that comes out of our mouth whenever we try to communicate. In Proverbs chapter 6.24, does anybody have that? Proverbs 6.24? Okay, read it real quick. If you don't mind. 6.24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattering of the tongue of a strange woman. Okay, so what does this woman do? A strange woman who flatters with her tongue. That's the strange, the, the strange woman. It's the woman, we you study it out, the strange woman is one who's always trying to, to solicit what she wants using her mouth with which to do it. How many times do you... Um, 
just to put it bluntly, do we lie to our husbands to make him feel better? Yeah. <laughs> you know why? You know why? Truthfully, girl, you know what? We talk about us, you know, us getting our feelings hurt and that kind of thing. You know what, guys? The male ego is probably more fragile than anything on the face of the planet. And so, do you know what we do sometimes? We want to flatter. We want to build them up, but it's false because we don't really believe it. We don't really. We're just like, let me just say what he wants me to say and be done with it. That's not the right kind of communication. Learning, learning to really believe what you're saying. Learn to really flatter and say what's true rather than trying to blow him up like a balloon so when it pops, it's going to be ugly. Okay? What about um, the unfiltered woman who has no discretion in what she says? Who has Proverbs 11, 22? Does one of you have that verse? Okay, it's, it's talking about... Somebody flip over there real quick. Okay. Fair woman without discretion. She has no filter. You know, that is something I have to work on. I have to really watch because I'm very black and white. So I have a tendency to say whatever goes through my mind. And I have to watch. I have to say, okay, wait a minute. If I'm going to communicate effectively with my husband, the last thing that I want to do is to unfilter whatever I say and just let it all lash out. You know, if we're arguing or we're aggravated or he's made me upset or um, I disagree with something he did about the kids. If I'm willingly putting myself under his direction and leadership and I'm looking at him as we are one flesh, I don't want somebody to talk to me that way. So I've got to be careful how I talk to him and I've got to learn to put a filter on it. That is one thing. My husband used to have a very hot temper, super hot temper. And over the years, he is probably the most passive, calm guy Ever. I mean, he, he doesn't get upset. I'm the one who usually gets mad. You know, and it's the joke around our house is, you know, my, they'll come in and, they'll, and I'll say something, and the way I'll say it, you know, without using discretion, they're like, somebody's got their quills out today, mom's a porcupine. And then that's always the thing. It usually lightens me up a little bit. I'm like, yes, I'm being a porcupine today. And then my kids now, I've got teenagers, so, you know, they're at the whole thing now. Is this coming in this time? Because <laughs> you are definitely a porcupine. You know what? And you know why? It's because I'm speaking and I'm communicating with them and I have no discretion. I'm just letting it all back. You know, rather than stopping and saying, okay, there's a better way to say what I need to say rather than just letting it all fly out. Go ahead. I just can't help but interject this, but I'm, I'm the opposite of you, the way you're describing it, but my teenage daughter used to say, moms have to sugarcoat everything. Yeah. Then there's the two opposites. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and sometimes that is just as bad. That is just as bad. Sugarcoating everything. You know, sometimes you got to leave the sugar off and throw a little bit of salt in there. And that is true. And then what about the brawling woman? You know, when I think of the verse in, in the brawling woman, we won't read it for sake of time, but the brawling woman, you know what I always think about? I always think about a bull in a china shop. You know, you think about what a bull in a china shop is going to be like. They're going to wreak havoc and destruction on everything. Think about what a brawling woman does. What is that going to do for you, your communication? I listen now. Like I said, I, I work on this. I, I, I nowhere have arrived. But I, I watch some of our ladies. I watch some of our young moms at church. And um, and then they know if they if they want an honest opinion, ask me because I'm not I'm not a sugarcoater. I'm just going to say this is it. You know, I, I've learned to use a little bit of discretion, but this is how it is. But, you know, I watch. We have a, an older couple in our church. They're in their 70s, I guess. And they've been in ministry, and they're retired now, and they have health health issues and all that. 
and she browbeats that poor guy like no man's business. I mean, she's like, Jerry, get over here and do this. Jerry, stop doing that. Jerry, carry that. Jerry, what is wrong with you? She'll does it loud so everybody can hear. Jerry, get over here. Jerry, get over here and sit down. Jerry, stop doing that. Jerry, and it's just like, you are such a brawling woman. To, to talk about your testimony and your love for the Lord, your communication that we're all watching is saying so much more. Because you are brawling, you're browbeating your husband. And I bet when you were younger and in ministry, nobody ever wanted to be behind closed doors in your house because you were probably picking up something and banging him upside the head. You're just not capable of doing that now. What is that saying about our communication? You know, no doubt, one of us, or all, all these things, one of these things, or all these things, fit with us. We're speaking without discretion. We're being a brawler. We're, we're lying in what we're saying in our communication to our husband. But what should, how should we communicate? Really, we should learn to use words, sounds, signs, behaviors, anything we can to express our ideas, thoughts, and emotions to someone else and do it in a loving way. Do you, do you communicate with your husband that you love him and you're happy to be married to him? Do you tell your husband that? Do you do little things for your husband? Um, we, I read a devotional a while back. He and I, we had our devotions in the morning. We were doing a couple of devotions for like a 30-day period um, for this particular book we were trying to get through. And one of the very first things in it was about a smiley. Have you ever heard the story about a smiley? See how much I love you. S-H-M-I-L-Y. And um, it was about this couple. Um, the, the wife had passed away, and um, in her coffin, that word smiley written on various cards was all over her coffin. And the story was they started young in their marriage to drop smileys to each other, whether it was in the car, in flour, in baking mix, in a cake box, at his office, in his lunchbox, all kinds of things, smileys. So whenever they would see that, they would know she's telling me how much she loves me, or he's telling me how much she loves me. You know, doing those little things. If, if somebody was asking your husband away from you, away from a good time at, at couples retreat, and they were asking you, do you feel like your wife loves you? What would your husband say? Oh, my, my wife takes care of me. Yes, but does she love you? Well, yeah, we, we, we had sex last night, but does she love you? Uh, she fixes my life. No, does she love you? Can, can you? can you tell me definitively that your wife truly loves, honors, cherishes, admires you as a man? What would your husband say? You know, because that, much like I said, we like to be told and flowered and, and shared and, and, and showered upon all these things. You know what our husbands do too? They like to know, you know, hey, I think, I, I think you look great in that shirt. Or, hey, you know, I've noticed your muscles. They, 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 you know, they may say, my husband has a happy muscle. You know what? and um, I didn't want them to get lost, so I just shut them in my Bible. Little sticky notes. And this one was just simple. Three little sticky notes. It's got an I love 
you. And it's got the little, you know, just three little sticky notes. And he put it on my bathroom mirror when I he had to leave early one morning. Just little things like that. My husband communicates that. I get texts literally on a daily basis. I get emails. And, and, and I always say, you're not fair because you sit at your desk all day and you have your computer up all the time. I have to set up my computer and purpose to actually send an email, which I'd rather somebody shoot me as I would have to send out emails. But you know what? He does that all the time. He communicates. How are you communicating to your husband? Did anybody look at Proverbs 25 11? Okay, can you read that real quick? A word fitly spoken. A word fit that's fitting for the time. It's fitting for the occasion. It's fitting for what's needed. You know what? You you know um, when, you, when your husband comes home, you know when he's had a bad day at work. You know when he needs that little extra, uh, he needs that little extra um, word from you. And I have read several books. One of the one things that, one of the, the, that always comes to the surface is when a man feels like his wife is behind him and supporting him, he feels like he can conquer the world, that he can do anything. And um, one thing my husband told me today, he says, you know what, we don't ever sit down and even hold hands anymore. And it, and it was because we had, I was gone for like seven, eight days straight. I was never home. And literally, I'm throwing laundry in and running back out the door, that kind of thing. And then I started backing off and saying, I have a tendency to jump. Okay, what do you mean to give up? I'll give up this, and I'll give up this, and I'll give up this, and I'll give up this. And he's like, hey, that is not the point. The point is taking time so that we can sit and talk and communicate and get on the same page. And then I told my friend that, and, and she's an unsaved, uh, unsaved person um, that I was emailing with. She sent me an email, and I was responding back, and she's unsaved. And uh, she texted back a few explicits or whatever and she's like would you just sit down and lady blank blank hold his hand and i'm like well she said that to me she knows that that i'm a christian and but then i, I stopped and thought no i probably needed to hear that stop what you're doing angie and sit down with your husband and talk and hold hands and just chillax a little bit because that's one of the anchors that has to be in our marriage another big anchor intimacy coming into um our intimate life okay and we're going to begin in first corinthians this is a, another good passage that gets blown out of proportion so many times but if you have your bibles flip over to first corinthians first corinthians chapter 7. now a lot of times we approach the idea of intimacy very selfishly we approach it as this is my body and it's my right and i will set the boundaries and give you the permission that you need. That's how we look at it a lot of times. We look at it as my body, my rules. And then we get upset that our husband's not showing us any um, romance or he's not being kind and considerate, but he's afraid he's going to step on a bomb if he tries to do any of those things because we have planted bombs on certain parts of our body and says, if you touch that or if you mess with that, you're going to get an explosion and it's not going to be a good explosion. Okay? That's how we look at things. Let's look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2 says. It says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. The verb have there, the verb, the have, the, the have, that's telling us the helper there. It's helping us understand the meaning. It is if the, in the Greek language, if you parse it down in the Greek language, um, it's an imperative mode verb. Now, are any of you English teachers, do you know what imperative means? If you have an imperative sentence, what kind of sentence is that? It's a command, a sentence that gives a command. So this verb have 
takes on the imperative idea that it is a command. Now, notice what it says. Avoid fornication on every man. Have his own wife. It's a command. You take love, be, be intimate with your wife, and then the same command is given to us. Wives likewise also with your husbands. You have your own husband. Okay? So we have an imperative command. Then look at verse 3 as we keep going. It says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Okay, the word render there means to pay a debt or to fulfill an IOU. Okay? If you're fulfilling an IOU, that means you're working to pay someone back. I was talking to one of the ladies, I don't remember what your name is, but she was talking about her son, getting a car, and her, her son has to pay them back. If he's renting it right now until he pays in full, and the car becomes his technically, all his, you know? So when we, we render, when we give to our husband, we're fulfilling an IOU. We're fulfilling the commitment that we've made to him. But... Why is it a debt? You say, I entered marriage and I already went in debt? My marriage was enough debt. You know, what, what are we talking about? The answer lies in the fact that one of the spiritual services that a husband and wife give to each other is the act of physical intimacy. It's a gift. Back in the Garden of Eden. Why was Adam sad? And why did God create him to help me so he wouldn't be alone? He needed somebody to come alongside and somebody to help him. He needed somebody to love him. He needed somebody to care for him. And, and so when God says, get married, get married, you both have an IOU to each other. You're fulfilling the debt throughout the rest of your lives. You're fulfilling a debt, an IOU to your husband, giving yourself to him, him giving himself to you, you meeting his needs, he meeting your needs, you supplying and, and taking care of whatever you do at your house or whatever your responsibilities are, him taking care of those responsibilities. It's working toward each other. It's working with the debt toward each other. Many of the blessings that God has for us comes in physical packages or expressions from sexual intimacy. Once again, this is a huge connection. And when we, my, our big thing is, I wake up in the morning with a list. I wake up and I have a list. I've got to do this and this. And I have this amount of time between here and here to get this done. And I have to do this. And then when intimacy gets thrown in there, I'm like, I cannot do this. I just can't do this because I have a list and you're not on my list. <laughs> and I mean, really, I don't say that, but my husband reads that loud and clear. He's like, I know, I get it. You have a list. You know what? Is, in my part, I know that is so wrong because truthfully, if I am willing to, to serve my husband and he is serving me and I am willing to make our marriage work and we're communicating and I want better communication, then I need to learn to give up my rights and he gives up his rights so that we can continue on serving God with both of our rights in, in connection and in the way that it needs to be, the way that it should be. So then, um, verse 5 kind of ties this all together. It says, defraud ye not one another. Well, the word defraud there, it has the idea of cheating and robbing someone. When husbands and wife refuse to share sexual expressions, they cheat their mates from fulfilling create creativity and rob them of something that is owed to them. You know, and you think about that. We go back into selfish. My way, my time, my boundaries. You know, this is what I want. But truthfully, we need to go in selflessly and say, you know what? I'm here to meet your needs as you meet my needs so that both of our needs can be met and we can communicate and be on the same page and this anchor can be rooted down and it can be grounded down. 
Because you know what, truthfully, ladies, every single one of us is open to an affair or pushing our husbands toward an affair. And you may say, no, and I, I think to myself, no way. You don't, no way. You don't look the same that you did when you were 20. No way, this is not going to work. You know, this, that, or the other. But the truth of the matter is, I firmly believe that if I'm not meeting my husband's needs and I'm not guarding and protecting my husband, then you know what? Satan's going to make sure somebody crosses his path that's going to say a kind word to him or that's going to respond and laugh at his jokes when I would just roll my eyes or whatever. And then you know what? It's, it could very well be, not that it would, but it could be the beginning of something that would continue on. Because there's more than just physical affairs. There's emotional affairs. There's job affairs. You know, you, you talk to someone. You go to the coffee machine the same time every day because, you know, somebody's going to be there to, to talk to you, ask you how your day is, and on and so forth. You see what I'm saying? So we need to be careful that we're not allowing any seeds to be planted. And so that's an anchor that needs to be put down. So let's think about how we can selflessly serve our husband. My body is his. His body is mine. We become one flesh. The construction, piece, construction paper pieces glued together. Now let's think about the kinds of intimacy that we can we can take part in, that we can enjoy throughout our marriage. There's the intellectual intimacy. Couples share their thoughts, their experiences, their ideas, their desires. You intellectually sit down and have a conversation. How many times do you sit down, go out with your husband, you plan a date night, and you actually just you can go sit and you can talk? Hey, how's things going at work? Are you, how's the promotion going? You know, this is what's happening in our Sunday school class, or this is what's happening here, this is what's happening there. You're able to intellectually connect, and because your communication anchor's down, because you're working on your intimacy anchor, and, and that's continuing to, to tie you down and so, to solidify you in this whole boat thing that we have called life, you know what, we're able to connect, we're able to openly share our desires, our thoughts, our fears, our insecurities. Social intimacy. Being able to do things together. Uh, that is, we, my husband and I, we don't have problems doing things together, but you know what we are? We, I, I, it's the new phase of life we're in. Our kids are never home now because they're working or they're in school. And so I find that, well, if the kids are not going to be home, I'll run and get this done at night or I'll hit the gym tonight. And then I find, well, wait a minute, we're still not, we're not doing things together because we're still running our separate ways. So learning how to, to bring ourselves back together so we can socially go out and enjoy ourselves and have fun. And then there's emotional intimacy, being able to um, share the emotions of life. And unfortunately, girls, we have a whole lot more emotions, I think, flowing through us at any given time than our husbands do. Have you ever thought about all the emotions you go through in the course of the day? You can wake up being frustrated, and you can go to being angry, and then you can go weeping, and then you can go to being consoled, and then you can be happy again, and then something can make you laugh hysterically, and then you can get frustrated, and then as you get frustrated, you, you roll your eyes, and then you, you get emotionally charged, and it makes you angry, and then it's just like this roller coaster that goes and goes. You know what? Having a good foundation, having a good anchor in intimacy means that emotionally, your husband, he may not understand but he's going to be able to listen because it goes back to the anchor of communication, the anchor of intimacy. And then, of course, spiritual intimacy, being able to pray, being able to uh, read your Bible together, being able to share spiritual blessings. And then physical intimacy, holding hands, kissing, embracing, sexual intercourse. And, you know, driving down the road. Uh, I read this in a book back when I was a teenager, uh, a book from right before, uh, I don't know, it was some dating book that we had when we were in high school and we had to read. 
and uh, they were talking about, you know, how um, girls are very forward today. You know, they like to go up and touch a guy's hair or whatever. And they said, you know, touching a man's hair is a very uh, intimate expression. And I thought, well, that is weird. But you know what I find if I'm driving down the road and I, I put my hand up and I rub my husband's hair or whatever? You know what? That he finds it to be very, very intimately charged, you know, it's that kind of thing. And I don't know why, it's just weird, but, but think about if your husband runs his hands through your hair, think about how it makes you feel. So it's the same thing, holding hands, kissing. One thing we love about teenagers, is, and we've always been with our kids, is kissing in front of them. And now that um, the kids are older, you know, we may really, really kiss in front of them, and they're like, oh my word, do you have to do this now? You do have to kiss like that, you know? And it's fun, it's like, yes, we have a right. Our room says that we do, you know, we love each other. You know, it's our goal to gross our kids out because we want them to see, you know, this is, this is a great part of being married, being able to be together and to connect in these areas. And then, um, lastly, I don't even know what time I'm supposed to be done. What time am I supposed to be done? Okay, two minutes. So finances, real quick. How many of you would say that finances would be something that you have contentions about? Anything? Occasionally? Occasionally, if it pops up? Think about that. Money is like a landmine in marriage. It lies quietly until one day you step on it a certain way, and it can totally explode. Money can easily turn into alienation. Money, however, is the lifeblood. It keeps you alive, and it keeps stuff on the table, but it shouldn't be the main focus in everything that you do. God provides us the ability to have this means to an end. You can look at it later in Deuteronomy 8.18. God knows how precious it can become, and he warns us about the material preciousness that has a tendency to get in the way in our marriage. And no doubt, in your marriage, one of you is a spender, and then one of you is a saver. That, that's kind of how it breaks down. I, I tend to be, it is funny, my husband, when he's dealing with the finances at church, he is a saver. I mean, when he budgets every single dime, I mean, this is how it's got to be, because he's running the affairs of, of the whole church and staff and salaries and events and ministries and all of that. And I would always say, if you would do our finances at home, we would have more money than what we do have. And he's like, I don't have time to deal with that. So I have a tendency to be the rain person, and say, we're not going to go out to eat tonight. We're not going to do this. We're not going to run and do this. We're, we're, we're not going to give the kids this money. They're going to pay it with their own, that kind of thing. And he's like, relax a little bit. It'll be okay. Go buy something if you want to buy something. You know. So in, in that case, learning how to put that financial anchor down. Learning how to get on the same page because we're communicating. We're, our, our sex life is doing good. So let's get, let's get our finances in order. We need to learn to be flexible. Learn to talk, goes back to communication. We've got to be able to talk. What are our goals? What are our ambitions? How are we going to get to that point? Um, how do I need to be flexible? How does he need to be flexible? Because it comes back down to being able to talk to each other. And then don't try to change your spouse or his issues, but try to work through. Try to come to compromises. In this area, it is good to be able to compromise. Communicate and honor your spouse. You know, if your husband says, I really, really, really want us to have a date night and I want, I want to go to a motel, this is what I really want. And you say, we don't have the money for it. Try to work around. Try to figure out how to do that. Learn to be flexible. Money is something, there are these three things. Money is probably the one that has the most physical aspect, not as much as sex or whatever, but it, it has physical ramifications as far as what you buy, what you spend, your credit card debt, your car payments, and all that. Learning how to communicate and work together through these. There's a lot in here that you can still go through. There's a lot of verses that you can still look up. I have everyone a little, a little thing. You put it in the frame, you hang on your refrigerator, you can stick it in your Bible. It's all kinds of words that deal with marriage. And um, I challenge you to take these. And 
do if you struggle with what to do your Bible study on or having your devotions or whatever, go through here and take one of these words a day or take one of these words a week and apply it to your marriage. Okay, it may be, you know, something about possess. Okay, am I possessive in my marriage? Am I possessive over my husband's time? Is he possessive over my time? And start start evaluating yourself. I have a, a green notebook. I didn't bring it. It's a pain to carry around. It's a big green notebook. And it's my devotion notebook. And so when things come up in my own life, things that I'm working on, I'll just take a page of my notebook and I just put down, you know, insecurities or anger or whatever it is. And I'll work through my own thoughts. I'll just write my thoughts down and then I'll go back and read and compare them in relation to the Word of God. Okay, how is this, how is this stacking up? It may be in, you know, how, uh, how I feel like I failed my husband this week. And I'll write it down and say, okay, it, is this true? And I go back to Philippians 4. Is it true? Um, and it goes through the whole list. Is it a good report? It goes through the whole thing. But the first one, is it true? And I start asking myself, is this true? Am I dominating in his time? Am I being too emotional? Am I do is this true? And then I start letting the Holy Spirit start speak to me, start speaking to me, trying to make things better. I am I have not arrived at 23 years. I still think, wow, we have so much more to learn in our marriage. We have so many more rivers and, and waterfalls that we can go over in this little boat. But these are some anchors that we do try to put down. We do try to keep anchored together. And there are some days those anchors come loose and our boat almost flips over. And then we have to stop and say, wait a minute, we've got to put that anchor back down. We've got to start communicating. We've got to start intimately, intimately, intimately loving each other better. We've got to start working on our finances. We've got to cut the spending here. Or we need to spend more here. We need to go out and have, uh, you know, a three-day date night or whatever if our time allows. So just a couple of things. And I don't, I don't want you to think that, we fight all the time. That's not it at all. But I just wanted you to understand that we do have issues. You know, there's there's never a time that um, that in our marriage, I don't think that there will ever not be something that we're working on or we're trying to improve on. But I hope that this has been a, a blessing and, a, and an encouragement to you. And like I said, there's still a lot in there that you can take and read and study for yourself to be the very best um, thing you can, that, that you possibly can in your marriage. So.